to Sin City with Nick Menezes and Dane McLean. Live chat about everything cinema, from new releases, iconic films, and plenty more for you movie lovers. Live for CMRU.ca. And now, to the men behind the mic. Welcome to Sin City. This is week, what week are we on, Nick? We are on our third week in August. Third week in August. We have a very special guest with us today. Uh, second time we're on Sin City, Emmanuel. Thank you so much for coming on again. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. To have you. Great. How you been doing, man? Like, been... I'm doing all right. It's awesome. It's really great. Yeah, me and Emmanuel have like have been chatting these past few nights, and and apparently and apparently he is on for our show for for about seven episodes in the future. Nice. Awesome. Oh. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Just looking forward to having you, man. It's gonna be amazing. <laughs> so, how's it been? How's it going with your uh, with your screen screenwriting and screenplay? Well, it's been going good. Uh, I'm working on some some uh, new stuff just to just to keep myself going. Um, I'm basically writing a DC script, the Justice League script, just just for fun. No, it'll be on the big screen one day. Like, no, it might be even better than what we got. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. And also, um, t- tell us a bit more about um, these uh, comp- competitions that you've been entering now. Oh, yeah. So I joined, I, I went into um, the Academy Nichols Fellowship. That's like, that's like a, a fellowship for the Oscars. And so I uh, submitted my first script I wrote into it. I got a notification back that I didn't get it, but that's all right. And then uh, the second one is Austin Film Festival. Uh, it's like a huge writers get together, you know, writers, big name writers get together and have a convention. And, uh, and then the third one is the Warner Brothers Writing Workshop. Whoa. Nice, nice. Nice, man. And um, Dane, for any of your uh, previous short films, like, what did it enter like in any contests that you know of? Um, I I submitted to one online festival, which I was a part of, which was really fun. But apart from that, uh, nothing, nothing else really. Well, no worries, man. I'm sure it'll get the recognition it deserves one day. Definitely. <laughs> Maybe one day. But it's all just about making new stuff, continually building on old projects, I think. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, fingers crossed, man. Fingers crossed for both of you. Yeah. Um, so, let's get to today's topic, which is one I've always been wanting to do. The films of David Fincher. So, what do you guys think of his um, of his work overall? David Fincher, he's he's done so much, such a variety of of films. Um, I mean, like you look at Fight Club to The Social Network, they're entirely different movies. Um, yeah, it's it's quite it's quite a range of films he's done. Oh yeah, for sure, man. Like his films are very, they're very dark and at the same time entertaining as well. Which is, 
which all sorts of bad which is also a bit of a paradox because he once stated that he, when he makes films he likes making films that not only entertain but also scar the viewers as well so it definitely shows his <laughs> yeah I would say most of his movies are in some way traumatizing well okay maybe not traumatizing if you just thought about maybe Gone Girl, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Zodiac, sure. But his other movies, I mean, Curious Tears, Benjamin Button, is beautiful. Not traumatizing, that's a terrible thing to say, but more like emotionally uh, just evoking. That's a very nice way to describe it. Yeah, that's a better way to describe it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, and um, last night I finished uh, watching up The Social Network, and good God, that was a masterpiece. Just wow. Loved it. You ever you watched it again, by the way? Uh, yes. Yes, I have. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, really, I really enjoyed it. It's a great way also to start the decade, you know, on a high note for sure. Oh, definitely. Because this came out in 2010, yeah. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, like, what what were your thoughts on it, man? I'd like to hear your perspective. Social Network. Um, Well, I haven't seen it in a while, but uh, uh, I don't know. I, I guess what I could take away from it was... It really, it really was interesting to see the story of a fairly new technology phenomenon that, at the time, it only existed for, I guess, maybe five or six years, and yet it was able to create a story and kind of dig into the mythos around Facebook and really show the human side, the human side behind it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm, I mean Facebook was was huge in, in 2010. But it was it was still a little bit mysterious. I mean Mark Zuckerberg wasn't as famous as he is today. Um, it, it was a really interesting film to come out. Really really time and place. A very important movie and it'll stand the test of time for many years to come. Very much true, very true, yeah, like it really delivered the important message on what it feels like to be connected and at the same time disconnected from from uh, from social life, I'd say. Like, very true, yeah. yeah, absolutely, it's a good way to put it. Yes. Like the, like probably this is best exemplified by the, the tagline. The film's tagline says, if I remember, you can't make 500 million friends without making 500 million enemies. That perfectly shows in the film. <laughs> Very true. Like, it really, like Mark, like Mark Zuckerberg, like he is too very ambitious let's say and that ambition is both a gift and a curse because he succeeded where he want where he wanted to be which is to make facebook a business but at the cost losing his friends and everyone important in his life so it's kind of a, a meaningless victory i see yeah yeah definitely i mean i'm not sure if 
what, what he's like 10 years later. I don't know much about his personal life, but um, I mean, 10 years later since the movie was released, but yeah, at the time it was pretty, it was a pretty bold statement to be, to be made in the film about just a very enigmatic icon in um, just the world. And obviously one of the most uh, impactful inventions in our history, I'd say. Maybe possibly the very most impactful inventions in the last 15 years, so, which is, which is Facebook. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know how Mark Zuckerberg would have felt about that movie at the time. I, I don't know what he said. I don't really know what he has said about it, but it is pretty interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I definitely... Sorry, sorry, you go ahead. Oh, um, yeah, I think he um, that I think he would have a, a bit of a mi mixed reaction towards the film, like how it portrayed his success. But in terms of his character, like having such a a big ego, I think um, I'm not so sure how he'd feel about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, great performance. I, I, that's all I can say. It's just like um, was it Jesse Eisenberg? So we really, he really did a great job. It was very convincing. He had an amazing cast. Uh, sorry, Andrew Garfield when he was lesser known, but he he turned out to be one of the the best actors of the last ten years. Oh hell yeah! Justin yeah. Timberlake, who you didn't even think of as Justin Timberlake, which is a huge compliment to him that he was able to uh, really play his role well. Like you you didn't see him as the as the big celebrity pop star that he is. Um, and Army Hammer, who would eventually become much more notable in recent years, the last few years, for comedy on many other movies he's been in. Um, yeah, yeah. from all of them. Right. And by the way, are you aware that um, the Army Hammer, like, he, they were not really twins? It was actually done through CGI? Oh, wow. Really? Oh yeah, like Army Hammer doesn't have any twin siblings actually, so that's really impressive. I, I honestly forgot about that aspect of it. I did. I've been really. I haven't seen it in a while, so I, I, I didn't remember that there were two of him. But oh yeah, I'm looking at a scene here, and yeah, they're wow. You play two characters. That's amazing. It's true. Yeah, like wow, and it looks so real. Like just well done. Just wow. Yeah. And and um yeah, like also the social network. It really sends up sends out a very harsh yet powerful message at like it's great to be successful in life but at the same time it, it's also very important to keep your your humanity your your heart as you you're doing that like not to lose your way in success yeah absolutely yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting what, what the movie was able to do i mean you would think it would come out much later on, like maybe today. Uh, you, could see, you could see this movie coming out today with just the, the news around Facebook constantly and the, some of the more controversial things. But uh, 20, in 2010 at the time, there wasn't really a whole lot of awareness of, of anything beyond just people enjoying Facebook. People just looked at it as, oh, this is just a cool fun site to, to connect with friends. Um, I don't think anybody anybody really realized, at least, well, maybe that's because I was young at the time. I was only a teenager using Facebook. But I didn't really realize that, yeah, this is a giant company 
and obviously there's a lot of money involved. I just thought it's it's just a website where I can, you know, post funny things as a teenager. I didn't I didn't really see it beyond that. So to see it, the movie at the time when I was young, it was really it put it into a little bit of perspective that I hadn't realized. I just worth the time place. Wow, I never, I never knew that. Wow, and and lately, I, I noticed that I actually we've been using Instagram lately over Facebook. Wouldn't you say that you've been uh, doing using more Instagram and Facebook like lately since these past few months? Yeah, personally, I'm just gonna turn my camera on. Sorry, I forgot it. Oh, right. um, personally, I, I'm more of a Instagram user, or it's. Um, or it's photo sharing. I think it's just a better, better system. Although Instagram is owned by Facebook now, so you're really using Facebook every time you're using Instagram. But um, I, I do prefer it. I think it's more it's more for our age range. I think I find that like Facebook has kind of um, it's lost its appeal. I think for a lot of younger people in their twenties compared to the old days. So. For whatever reason, I don't I don't know why, but a lot of people have kind of gravitated to Instagram because it is so user friendly and it's um, I don't know. In my opinion, it's just more fun to use. It's true, yeah. I share the same feeling as you. This is pretty great for me, especially for someone who just started on it like about six months ago. So yeah, experimenting, yeah, yeah. And BS. Anyway, this has nothing to do with anything. But seriously, man, your your Instagram is just wow. It's just impressive, man. It's like a like a palace, basically, with all these tiny Easter eggs. Like wow. It's like wow. Great storybook. Well done, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. So I guess I have to thank, you know, Mark Zuckerberg in a way. He didn't create Instagram, but I mean, he now owns Instagram. So for for all of that, he oh. Hello, Emmanuel. Yeah, I came back. I'm back. I'm alive. Hey, um, um, we were just uh, talking about uh, the social network. Yes. Oh, okay, cool. And so, what were you saying, Dave? Oh, so I was just saying um, how, yeah, Mark Zuckerberg. Whatever you, whatever you think about him, I mean, I guess it's inescapable his reach um, in influence in the world. So, as a, as a big Instagram user, you know, you even have to say, like, I love the app. I think it's a great app and it's creative and it's, it's fun. So, so watching a social network, you see the human side of his life, the good and the bad, but at the end of the day, you can't help but just agree with the fact that, yeah, he was one of the most influential people of our time. I mean, to create Facebook from the beginning and see its evolution and help how it's just every like an everyday part of everyone's lives really um even if even if you know there's some people that don't have facebook they they know about facebook so it's crazy to sum it up it's it's, it's a crazy thing to reflect on that film so yeah still relevant today yeah I agree with you man um emmanuela what what were your thoughts on it on the social network oh so um yeah, it was very modern. It was a very modern film. I kind of look at it as a biopic, but it's not your usual biopic. I like how it had different perspectives on who Zuckerberg is from, um, you know, and some of the narration, some of the perspectives were almost like, almost, in my view, unreliable narrators because mm -hmm. they're trying to picture this, this, paint this picture of Zuckerberg. 
he's like this enigmatic ign- figure. And the, the script was really good. Um, the direction, the whole production was so hip and modern. It felt timely for that film because Facebook came out in 2003. Mm-hmm. So it felt like a very modern film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was very like cutting edge from the music. You had the the very um, kind of like dark techno soundtrack by I think that was yeah uh, Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails. It sounded just sounded so sort of there was that underlying sense of like suspense throughout the whole thing. Definitely, just very stylish film, like you said, very very modern for its time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, like we were also talking about the more human side of the, the during the whole creation of Facebook, like how it's about a, a story. It also sends a very harsh, a powerful lesson about keep pursuing your dreams, but at the same time, like try to maintain your your human side because that's what the film basically shows. Because Mark succeeded in making Facebook a success, but at the same time, he lost his friends, his girlfriend, everyone important in his life so like it was was it really worth it at the end that's why like the theme of facebook in a way like that's the irony is that it's a social network right but then like you know people use it people that use it probably don't don't have that many friends or because because of our generation millennial generation it touched on how we lived on technology, but our social skills have kind of suffered as a result. Something that's at least that's what I got from it. That's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. Science more connected, but then at some point becomes disconnected from society as well. Yeah. And I like the scene at the end when he's trying to, I don't think that was, I think they, the filmmakers created that license, but when he was trying to friend his ex-girlfriend and he kept refreshing the, the page, <laughs> that's exactly, that's exactly how people, our generation would, would react, you know, like, yeah, it was so timely. It was such a timely movie. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, it was a really great way to start off the decade on a high note. Yeah. 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 And yeah, um, um, I've been also in preparation for this episode. I've been reading some stuff about David Fincher, and I did. You guys know that what really sparked his interest in film happened to be his next door neighbor because he lived right next to George Lucas when he was young, and that's what really <laughs> got. Wow, I did not know that. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Amazing. Grew up in... Where, where did he grow up? Is in California? Oh, yeah, I think so. I think he did. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah, I'm reading he was neighbors with George Lucas in California. Wow, I didn't know that. Amazing. <laughs> what are the chances? Yeah, I, I, I knew that he was in visual effects. Um, I think for a few years before he, and then he started doing commercial, um, commercial videos, music videos and commercial videos. Wow. Yeah. And him living next to George Lucas reminds me of a story you told us a few months ago, Dane. Like you mentioned that uh, Todd McFarland lived in your neighborhood. Is that right? That is true. Yeah. Yeah. Like his family home is in my neighborhood about a couple blocks from me. Um, so 
that was mind blowing when I was a kid because there's not a lot of notable people. I mean, Calgary's a smaller city. It's not like there's tons of celebrities. It's not like Los Angeles or or New York or something. It's just a million people. So to have like a fairly famous person grow up in your in your neighborhood, I think was crazy to me. But I kind of felt like, oh, this is just normal. Like, oh, it's just everyone must just have like a person like this who lives in their city or in their area. But now that I'm older, I'm like, yeah, that was really interesting. Actually. <laughs> That's Crazy. awesome, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And I think he's, he's since moved away to another city. Um, but his family, I think they're still here. So it's pretty cool. Pretty cool trivia. That's awesome. Hell yeah. A celebrity living right next to a would be celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I wish. Maybe 30 years from now. We'll see. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, I'm sorry, you go first, man. You go first. Oh, no, I was, I was, I was done. I was done, yeah. So, yeah, um, and David Fincher, like, I'm really, I think we can all say we're really impressed, like, how great he's been doing with his films, and which is saying something, because his filmography started uh, very roughly with uh, Alien 3, like, that was his first feature film, and mm -hmm. it didn't do well, I know, like... Alien 3, yeah, that's an interesting way to start his career. I mean, taking on, uh, you know, universe like that that's his debut that's the uncommon i would say that's true yeah it was actually yeah and it was like a studio interference that ruined this this film because he they locked him out of the studio they and they kept taking control of his ideas and they started shooting the film without even finishing the script it was it was madness to say the least yeah it's a shame he had to go through that you know i mean even he, I watched the interview with, um, I think, British Film Academy, and he was saying, like, he did all the things the director's not supposed to do. Like, he, he listened to the studio because that was his first film. Yeah. And even to this day, he has completely, as you mentioned, uh, Emmanuel, he disowned the film. In fact, I hear that even that any time the Alien 3 is mentioned in front of him, it like puts him in a really bad mood. So, yeah. It's really bad. Yeah. But uh, started his career, so he's proved himself, proven himself a lot since then. So. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And then came his, uh, and then came, he re redeemed himself with his next film, uh, Seven. That, oh God, just like, uh, you guys, uh, you watch it, Dane? Yeah, I've seen it. Yes. I, I think I've seen most of it. I, I don't think I've seen it beginning to end for some reason. I don't know why I haven't, but I need to, I need to watch it fully. I need to watch it beginning to end. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> are, you, are you familiar with the the summary of the film by the waiting? Yeah, yeah, I know like the summary I would say, but yeah. Don't worry, don't worry though. Go you you, you can talk about it. I I'll watch it one day. This police, like played by Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt, have to capture a serial killer who has been killing people based on the seven deadly sins. It's, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is. Okay. 
one of David Fincher's trademarks as director, which like they show the the dark side, the dark nature of humanity as a whole. Like shows seven tackles that seem very well indeed. Yeah, he's really good at that. In the same interview with British Film Academy, uh, like Fincher, he was um, at Alien 3, he was thinking, uh, like, I'm just going to go back to uh, music videos and commercials. But then he got to send the script for Seven, and he just blew him away. And the funny thing is, is that they sent him the wrong draft. So, like, the ending was supposed to be a different ending, but they sent him the original draft. And that's the one that got made. So, wow, <laughs> oh, I did not know that. Wow. Yeah. So, it's yeah. an unexpected success, you say. Yeah. Yeah, like, like Fincher's films, like, I appreciate the fact that even though they are very dark and gritty, like, they, he adds moments of humor, like dark humor to, to his films, like, they never, they don't take themselves too seriously, because otherwise, I think that would, you know, turn people off from the experience, wouldn't you say? Yeah, like, he's able to, I don't know how he does it, but he's able to, you know, lessen the the burden of the seriousness you look at like i think gone girl is a good example of how like the character of nick was like a lot of jokes were were sent his way to kind of diffuse and even what he said too the kind of like he's like why is he saying that or he's just stupid and and it, it just leaves to like laughter you know because it's just to lighten the mood of the movie love that film by the way too so I think it's my brother alert is my actually my favorite by Fincher of Gone Girl by the way just love it. Oh it's Gone Girl okay. Yeah, like, wow. Just like again like his his I love the fact that he, in all of his films like the characters are very morally complex. Like there is there is not a single character in his films who is purely good or purely evil. And I think it gives a more neutral perspective from the audience because that's how it is in real life too. Like no one is pure. Yeah, you can see that a lot in Gone Girl, you know, like both Ben and um, his character, Nick and Amy. Yeah, they they both have their reasons for you for people not liking them, but you can un- kind of understand them to a, to a certain degree, their motivations anyway. It's true. Yeah, it's, again, un- unreliable narrators. Yeah, that's, that's bad. Oh, yeah, def- you can definitely see that on social network. Like, you, you never really... All those deposition scenes are really great, but it's like you don't really know, you, you don't, you can't really trust the Winklevoss brothers, and um, you, the only one you could trust probably is Eduardo, but like their accounts with Zuckerberg is like, it could be true, it could not, you know, that's the that's the the greatness of it. Leisure for the audience. Mm-hmm. Love the point of view, man. Yeah, like, and this also fits well with human nature in general. Like, we are basically not just the authors, but we're also the heroes of our own story. Like, we see them, we see ourselves sometimes as the good guys, basically. Like, some even take it further and see themselves as infallible. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's just impressive. Like, yeah. unreliable narrators, like, when. When the character just lies to the other characters and to the audience, like to make themselves look more sympathetic than they really are, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's like um, this is a slight tit, uh, 
tangent, but it seems to me that Fincher, he reminds me of like the um, dark romantics and literature, like Edgar Allan Poe and like those horror type writers. And they focus more on like, like you said, like human nature, how complex it is. They focus on the nature of sin and darkness. And I feel like David Fincher is like a new version of that in terms of film. He's really able to like look at that side of humanity that we don't like to acknowledge. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Yes. And um, yeah, like uh, another film that just came to my mind would have to be uh, Zodiac. I believe you have you seen that film? I've again, I've seen like some of the scenes. I I know like the the premise of the movie, but I don't think I've seen it fully beginning to end. Zodiac in particular, but yeah, I know I know it's um, based off of the real life uh, events of that uh, the killer from in the seventies or sixties, correct? That's right. Yes, yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah. San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, that was Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, one of his like I think breakthrough roles. I'm pretty sure at the time. Yeah. With Robert Downey Jr. and Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. Back then. People did not know, but now we all we see now is basically uh, Mysterio, Iron Man, and Hulk in the same film. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, I noticed how Zodiac it's very similar to Seven, when both stories are about basically catching a serial killer. Yeah, they're both police procedurals. They're both like, well, one is more. I, I would argue one is more conventional than the other. Like Zodiac is more of your conventional based on true life story, whereas Seven was so good because it subverted some of the, the conventions like uh, of the murder, serial killer murder pursue personal genre, like uh, procedural genre, I should say. Like, I don't want to, can we talk spoilers here? Or? Yeah, yeah. Okay. But yeah, the scene of the scene of when um John Doe turns himself in, that's like you know, a normal social serial killer stories, that doesn't happen. But you see, like it's so great because that added the tension of like his plan this plan what he's planning is still going to fruition. But the thing that what's great about it, what's scary about it is the two guys, the two cops don't know what he's planning. That's right. Yeah, you, you're absolutely right. It did subvert like what you came to expect because, like, they they caught the serial killer, but the horror is not over yet. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And my just I add like personally, me I find to me John Doe is probably the the scariest serial killer I've ever seen in film. I find him more scary than most of the horror villains that we see nowadays because he's just so plain realistic and his motives are they in a way in a twisted way they kind of make sense and the fact that he's human like not some kind of creature or monster like he looks just like everyone else that's just adds to the horror of his character yeah i mean he's he's scarier than hannibal lecter because john doe is so calm about what he does like he's not trying to scare you it's just his behavior scares you and like how methodical he is and and he's and what's scarier is that he had he has like a messed up motivation, which is understandable. Like he wants to show people the ugliness of society, 
but he's just doing it in a very like twisted way right and re-watching some parts of it I noticed that the fact he's a serial he's still terrifying and he's a serial killer and we never see him actually kill anyone on screen we just see like what happens after he does it after we just see the aftermath yeah it's, it's brilliant man it's uh, Andrew Kevin Walker the writer he, he really knocked out the park um, I don't see and to this day, I haven't seen like a serial killer character that can top him. You see a lot of copycat, you know, serial killer characters, but but yeah, John Doe is he's an enigma. He's something that's yeah. Kevin Spacey did a good job. Yes, yes, very true. Like, and I love the fact how it doesn't show him do, with that. It's brilliant that it doesn't show any of the him killing people because it makes it more effective. Like, it makes you like the whole nothing is scarier. Like, it's more scary when we don't see it happen than when we actually see it. It just ner- unnerves you more. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, he just like it's, it's almost similar to the Joker now. Like, if you look at the comics of the the Joker just burst in out of nowhere, and he's kind of like a fully a fully fledged villain. I kind of feel the same way with John Doe. He just burst in out of nowhere, and he's like, you, you can't really control this force that he's doing and things like that. Yeah, Dane, you have got to watch Seven. Like, you you're gonna love this film. Like, I, I guarantee. You. Yeah, I'm, I'm watching some clips right now as you guys are talking, and uh, cinematography just looks incredible. Yes. Especially like, uh, I was I was watching this scene here. It's like the John Doe surrender scene. And I was thinking this must be from like 2005 or 2008, but then it was what? When is it from? It's from the mid 90s or 97. Yeah, 97. It looks so good first time. Yeah, it does. Yeah, like the, you, know, you notice how the, the style, it's very like dark and grimy, like it's very, it really fits in with the tone, which shows like how the dark nature of this world, basically. Yeah, yeah, like um, Andrew Kevin Walker, the writer, he, he, he started on the industry, he kind of like didn't like his jobs, so he, he wrote a script to kind of vent his frustrations on I think it was New York City but but the script never the movie never shows you what city it is but it's very it's very similar to New York City and he wanted to show like the griminess of it how the city is like a character itself how it's just full of horrors and things like that she succeeded spectacularly. Yeah. Um, about the adventure, um, from the two, two, your two short films that I've seen, uh, Emmanuel, um, would you say uh, David Fincher played a hand also in influencing your film, some of your films, some of your work? Yeah. Uh, I grew up watching lots of movies uh, from Hitchcock, Spielberg, Ridley Scott, David Fincher. Um, I remember watching Fight Club when I wasn't supposed to. I was like maybe seven years old, <laughs> and like, and I watched Fight Club, and it just like the the end twist blew me away because I never, I was like, you can't do that in movies, like, what, like what, like, it just yeah. blew me away, and it just made the whole story have more power, you know, because of that twist, that that uh, plot twist at the end. Mm-hmm. So that really, that really 
introduced me to the idea of plot twists and like and how you can like really do something with it you know very true yeah um you watch fight club dane yes that's actually i'll spoil my list you guys and that's actually my number one number one david pincher film nice let's talk about it let's fight club yeah <laughs> yeah oh wow yeah i i saw it probably i would say five six years ago for the first time and i i, I had heard all of the the kind of mythos around it. It was, it's a very, I think it's a very like cult favorite type film for a lot of people. It's, um, it's not really like, it's not like this big kind of a universally acclaimed movie that it's just like everyone loves. There's some people that kind of might not like it as much as, you know, the hardcore fans, of course, but it really didn't disappoint like those are the kinds of movies i love or the movies that are in a way kind of polarizing like people have a lot of strong opinions about it both ways and i personally i loved it and i yeah i feel like you could analyze that movie for days and it would never get boring just to dive into that world because there's so much there's so much going on in that movie <laughs> you're right you're right there's so many layers yeah you could, you could really just spend so much time thinking about the movie because, and that's what you want in the movie. You want you want to leave the experience and just think about it and just question everything. And it did that so well. I need to watch it again. Speaking of which, I, I think it's overdue. I need to go back and watch it again. But uh, what, what did you guys think about it? I found it to be very, very intriguing from start to finish and tense as well. Like it's like what you mentioned um, before, Manuel, about the twist. Like that, that probably was the highlight of the film for me because, like, nowadays when people come up with twists, they just feel so bizarre and out of nowhere. But with Fight Club, rewatching it, there was lots of foreshadowing clues that le that led to the whole thing happening and it was spectacular how they delivered it yeah it's like that's good writing when you can like f put little clues and then at the end you're like what and then you realize oh that now that makes sense and that's kind of the same with fight club is like mm -hmm. it, it just that twist in itself just it was a mind-blowing twist i've never seen that before ever <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and love how like how they managed to put in the theme of insomnia and split personality disorder into that it, it made it more realistic like how this the guy the narrator he created a brad pitt as uh, some type of like shadow archetype like someone that's the person that he wants to be you know like more handsome charismatic fearless yeah that's what that's why the film has a lot of staying powers because like it's talking about male issues or like how us as guys how we have our own issues you know and like and it was critiquing the consumers culture and it was really about generation x from what i analyzed and but still it was like how you know the idea i idealized masculinity isn't really you know, embraced anymore. Like it's just torn apart or criticized. And so that's kind of makes sense and why the narrator made Brad Pitt his idealized man, you know, but really it was him. It was like a, what's cool is that it, that was a part of himself that he was putting away. And the fight club was a way for him to express that. It's true, 
Yeah, yeah. And it also leaves you wondering if the whole, if Brad Pitt's, um, Tyler is the character's name, is really like the narrator, like who he really is, or is it just like who he, like his negative side? Like, is it, is it true? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's more of his negative side. That's me personally. I think it's a negative side. But what's cool is that it's kind of like what you call young, like the, the the shadow self. Yeah, it's a shadow self, but it's still a part of you. And like Edward Norton played like the persona of what he's putting to society, whereas Brad Pitt was the um, the unhinged darkness, I guess, or other side of him. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Also, would you say that this film would be considered a um, social commentary on toxic masculinity? I would say yeah, because if you look, if you re, if you rewatch that movie, I've watched it at least twice or three times. Yeah, it was really talking about toxic masculinity. It was talking about, but not in a not in a negative way. It was just saying how that masculinity. Masculinity in itself was not really embraced anymore in society for some reason. And so, and you can kind of see that with Rob, like he had like man tits and like he was so feminized, the, guy, the big guy in the, in the, in the group. And so he was kind of like a, a symbolism of that. But, um, but yeah, talks of masculinity, I think it would, it was a commentary on that a little bit. Yeah, I think. What are your thoughts on that, Dane? Oh man, that's a big thing to chew on right there. Um, Spice Club, I don't I, you could you could say so many things about it. I think my main takeaway would be, I think it's really just a depiction of like, sort of, well, obviously at the time, it's like right before the new millennium. And it's just like the, it's just the frustration, I think, with, with um, kind of modern life at the time from, from the director's perspective and the writer's perspective. And it's just like this kind of, nihilistic outlook on life which i think uh, i guess a lot of people must have been feeling for for it to have done so well like it was really it resonated with a lot of people like um emmanuel was saying like the consumerist culture at the time in the 90s i think it was it was really you know there was sort of a loss of culture in in western society and yeah uh, i i mainly see it for that it's it's like for me, that's that's the main message. Everything about it, I'm trying to remember the whole part with um, the soap factory. I, I found that to be one of the most interesting parts of the movie. That just like completely, you you've never seen anything like this in a movie before. How like it it, it just flipped all the genre conventions on its head. And, but yeah, I need to I need to watch it again. That's all I can say. <laughs> There's so much going on in that movie. Love your interview. It's a really interesting perspective you got there, man. Like, yeah, like about that that soap scene where he like where um, Brad Pitt burns the narrator's hand with soap. It's like saying it's also an example of toxic masculinity, like like showing the whole masochism, like how men cannot feel pain. They're not supposed to feel pain or react in any way. So yeah, yeah. that's a way to demonstrate that thing. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. 
it's true. <laughs> like, yeah, because um, yeah, because like again, like Brad, like Brad Pitt's character was a good choice to portray that ne that negative side of the of the narrator of toxic masculinity because he's like more very like vi violent and you know very machismo. Yeah, like that's a really good choice. Yeah. yeah, I mean, to add on to Dane, I think that's why it resonated because, like, a lot of guys probably feel the same way that Edward Norton does. They work a dead-end job. They don't really... You can see in the film when, like, he looks at all his uh, supplies in his house and all his, like, price tags on it. And it's like, they're just, like their culture, their society, I mean, their, um, their life is run by all these things, but they're not really being masculine. They're not really being who they want to be, who they are. I think that's why a lot of people, um, that's why it's a cult classic, I think, because it really, like Dan was saying, it resonated with a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I feel like it, it was really the time and place. Like, I, I don't know if a movie... If, if it came out today or like in the 2000s how how different of an impact it would be but it was really like i think the perfect time and place and um yeah like i don't know the 90s were kind of a darker decade i would say than the 80s by far but i think the 2000s were even darker especially after all of the events in the early 2000s so i think it was just like the perfect movie of like just just the time 1999 and there's a shift going on, but no one really understood maybe what it was. But the movie kind of captured it in, a, in an interesting way. Very true. Very, very true. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. Like, and, can, and it's also hard to believe that this film is considered one of the all-time greats. And the fact that it won it no Oscars and it didn't do so well at the box office as well, but still managed to be solidified status as one of the greats. Just well done. Just wow. Yeah. When yeah. it when it came out, it was kind of it was the, there was a lot of debate when it came out. Some people were some critics were toxic towards it, but over time it gained a, it gained a lot of uh, positivity. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. It, it's like one of those movies that I think it's um, with with age, it's become more appreciated, and yeah, in turn, I think it's who knows maybe like ten years from now. People will still be talking about it, I think. And just the images from the movie are so iconic. Oh, they really, there's so many, so many shots in the movie that you could just like freeze frame and, and post. Like you could see them posted on those um, like one perfect shot social media feeds. So many quotes from the movie. Oh man. First of all, Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Yeah, that's. Exactly. I think any anyone who hasn't watched the film can definitely definitely has heard that for sure. Yeah. 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 And also, this is definitely one of Brad Pitt's finest performances. Like, it really like I think it really saw people. It showed his potential to the mass audience because he's not just this this ha this handsome mo model, but he really is also a great actor as well. Too. Like, yeah, he is. I think that's one of his. That's one of his best roles because the character of the narrator had to be somebody that was a shut-in. I think he played that really well. Um, 
even though from what we hear, you know, Never Norton is kind of a hard person to work with, but still, like, in that film, it worked well. Like, there was a good juxtaposition between him and Brad Pitt. And, like, yeah, that relationship itself was, that's, like, the heart of the movie. Yeah, in a lot of ways. And um, another, I'm gonna bring up a bit of a political subject here, but I would you say that Fight Club would also be like a critique on um, on capitalism? Like the whole Me? Uh, yeah, anti-capitalism um, thing. Yeah, I think so. I think it's because one of the plans of Project Mayhem was to erase all credit card debt. <laughs> yeah. So I think like. I think there was definitely an, a capitalist movement because it's kind of like it deals with Marx a little bit because Marx in his writings, he said that um, that capitalism can lead to a, a divorcing of the person from the work. Mm-hmm. And I kind of kind of what the film was playing on, how they had these corporate jobs, but they felt divorced from life. They felt like they weren't f- fulfilled in life. Right. So mm-hmm. I think that's one of the main points of the movie is trying to make. It's a Marxist point, and I think that's a point that needs to be considered and thought and, and thought about. Yeah. Yeah, like to abolish the, the the social class, like the to abolish the past is one of Marxist theories as well. So yeah, I see it fitting yeah. the film too. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Another film that I recall and I want to also talk about a little bit here is um, Panic Room. Like, that is probably his most underrated work, I'd say. Like, yeah. you, you, you guys yeah. watched it? I watched it. I've seen, again, most of it. <laughs> I've seen most of it. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't think I've seen it beginning to end, though. Unlike Fight Club. But, yeah, I haven't seen Panic Room. But I know, I know the, his most famous scenes, you know, Jodie Foster so good in it oh yeah yeah Kristen Stewart yes oh, I forgot she was yeah she would have been that would have been one of the first movies I think wasn't it I think so yeah yeah Jared Leto was in it yeah <laughs> he let us good at playing those those unhinged characters yeah yes yeah yeah yeah, like um, I feel like. It, oh, sorry, sorry. No, no, no. You, you go first. Then you go. No, you go ahead. I was gonna say. Uh, okay, I'll just quickly. Um, Panic Room. I kind of feel like it's in a way like I haven't seen it fully, so I can't talk too much about it. But I, I almost feel there's something stylistically that ra- reminds me a lot of Fight Club. Like I feel like it's like it's it's like it's brother sister film. Not not maybe in the the plot or anything, but just stylistically you can that's i think those two movies you can really see fincher in his like not his peak because he's done so much good stuff since then but that was like his signature style i think those two films yeah 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 look the camera work and the camera movements were so in panic room they were so mm-hmm. well done they really drew you into the action it's kind of like you had this objective bird's eye view of what was happening which is awesome it calls to mind alfred hitchcock a little bit but yeah it's yeah, this is well done. The, the, the lighting was good. The lighting, low-key lighting, so it was a lot of, you know, like, shadows and dark places. That's right, yeah. Like and, um... Color palettes. Yeah. yeah, color palette was pretty, pretty monochrome. Not monochrome, but it had some contrast, but it was kind of, you know, one color. But, 
yeah, it's it's well made film. It's a popcorn movie, I guess, but it's so much more than that. Yeah, it's just really good. Yeah, I love how he went like very a bit with a more a, a simpler plot, basically about a home yeah. invasion. Yeah, it's going to start small too. Like, like, like now and really, it's really a great because nowadays the idea of a home invasion film, like intruders breaking into a house and there's a family trying to fight back, doesn't sound like anything new. So he really redefined that very well. Yeah, he did. And it was timely. Again, it's like Fincher chooses movies that are like that are timely or they're at the time they have a lot of resonance because, you know, the movie was about surveillance and like that was around the time when I mean, that was after 9-11. So it came out in 2002. So we were already living in like a paranoid society, you know, in this country, in America. And um, he played though he played well on it. He played on those tropes a lot. Yeah. The paranoia tropes. Yeah. So true, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh. yeah. Um, yeah, and so um also his I noticed also that some of in his films too, like I really love the again I mentioned this before, but I really love the idea of his, to use the color palette in his films because they in a way the color palette it tells it tells the story as well, like of what's the tone that he's going for, the, the grittiness, the darkness in the society. Mm. Really good choice. Yeah. 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 Like Emmanuel mentioned with the panic rooms, um really reminds me of I was watching um, Fahrenheit 9-11 about a month ago, a month and a half ago, the Michael Moore documentary. And there's that one scene where they show like the commercials for the, the bunkers that they were selling and how it's like it became this like consumer product was to buy this like 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 a shelter, bomb shelter for people that were, you know, scared about the the conflicts at the time. And it was just such a depressing feeling watching this clip. How it was it's like it was it was made to seem like oh you can have a nice time in this bunker this dark bunker that you would sit in like, i don't even know how big it was it's like smaller than a bathroom the average bathroom probably in a house and how the the marketer was trying to say how you can even have a nice night out with a with a bottle of wine and relax in this in this dark bunker and it's just like <laughs> this whole like com commercialized look at this ugh i think like david fincher's films really nailed i think fight club and then pa uh, panic room nailed that like hysteria at the time in like what culture like you said emmanuel like the paranoid state everyone was in and yeah very dark era that that those few years like the early 2000s <laughs> and the movies movies really reflected that well oh yeah, it did. yeah that, it did. that thread the world really has changed since yeah since the since the thousand one since like 11 attacks for sure yeah, yeah mm -hmm. we're kind of back in like i don't know i don't know how films will be um following this whole pandemic <laughs> but I, I i don't think it's as dark as maybe the sort of um worries at that time but i, I i'm kind of curious like what these big directors do to depict our general sense of how we are right now our mental state as a as a collective group right an interesting time yeah <laughs> it is, man. yeah it is <laughs> 
Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm you were gonna say something. Oh, I was just saying, I had a pretty sad time. I think right now, but um, what directors do to to kind of help us escape that, uh, feel a little bit better, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, out of all of David Fincher's films, the one that I didn't quite watch or um, would have to be the Benjamin Button yet. Mm. Like, um, you guys see it? Like, could you um, give me a bit, a bit of a basic summary of uh, the film? Oh, yeah. So, basically, it's about a guy that he's born old and he ages backwards. So, yeah. like, he has he has these adventures along the way. And it's, it's kind of like a, a story about how love can be... Love can test, stand the test of time. And, like, um, and life itself is kind of like a, a game or... Not a game, but, like, it's life is a gamble you know and i guess the message of the movie is to live your life the best way you can wow no matter no matter um the um circumstances i guess wow that uh, not, not to offend anyone but that doesn't sound very you know david fincher ish yeah yeah <laughs> i think he did it to, to have range but i mean i wouldn't say it's one of his best films but it was very um it was interesting it was very um it's almost like a fantasy fairy tale type movie <clears throat> yeah 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 definitely a very emotional movie at its core like I remember I saw that in theaters um, when it came out in 2008, so I was quite young at the time. But I was with my parents, and it uh, really affected me. Really, it was very emotionally gripping, and yeah, the whole idea of kind of seeing everyone you love pass away before you, and um, would it really be better to get younger every year? Like that's kind of the the dream people have. Oh, I'd love to be. I love every birthday to be me getting younger. That kind of idea. But really, would it be would it be better? I don't know. Aging. Exactly. Yeah. So it kind of like spins that whole idea of romanticizing youth and kind of showing it that's, that's actually not good. Like we should be able to age and kind of uh, that's that's actually a really special part of life is growing up and, and becoming older. And and I mean, he is getting older, but he's physically getting younger. But you know what I mean? Um, I think it was a really beautiful movie. I think you guys might be surprised how high I have it on my list. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, it didn't make my list, but I still like how the writer, the writer, uh, Eric Roth, he, he wrote Forrest Gump. So it made sense yeah. he wrote this movie because there's a lot of uh, Marvel field adventures and like it's kind of like a, you know, like a picturesque novel you know we have a character goes on all these adventures but but yeah it was really talking about like dane said it's i don't know would you want to live forever like or live a long time like yeah it really addresses that question that's true wow so this this has got to be david venture's most light light-hearted film would you say like as opposed Probably. to the uh, no it's still kind of dark a little bit but yeah. um, <laughs> it's a sad but, ending uh, yeah this is a sad ending yeah, like you, like you said, Nick, down downbeat endings. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that's that's one of David Venture's trademark for sure. Like downer downer endings. Yeah, like 
and most of my favorite films actually have that like downer endings like i've grown to i have a bit of a, a small appreciation for these kinds of endings because in a way they they perf- they give a very harsh yet true message that you know that there will always like that there's always life has its ups and downs too like not everyone has a happy ending so yeah yeah and um yeah the film is well shot it's well is lit like a it's, it has a glossy look so it feels like a larger than life movie mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean even though it has a sad ending it still talks about you know how love is strong and like particularly with him and kate blanchett his love interest the, the circumstances that they go through are pretty kind of tragic, but it's still the movie still posits that love is is powerful. Such a powerful message, even for today. Yeah, well. mm-hmm. that's it's really honest look. Like it shows the sort of unpredictable nature of life, and I mean I don't want to spoil too much, but the the ending with um, the setting at the time I think it was Hurricane Katrina, right? And, um, yeah. Orleans. And uh, yeah, it's 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 a pretty it's it's a very bittersweet movie the whole way through. There's so much beauty in it, so much kind of tragedy. But it's it's worth it's worth diving into. It's a very long movie too. I think that's like three hours. But yeah, it's like almost three hours. Yeah, it tells such a wide, like such a wide storyline. Yeah, yeah, I think. It, it goes from 1918 all the way to 2005, so you'll have almost almost 100 years in the story. Damn. Quite the, quite the scope, but yeah. Yeah. It handles it well. It's good good pacing overall, I would say. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. We'll do the look speak as well. Yeah. Like, um, and it's really impressive, too, how David Fincher can also, like, balance both his, like, both of them, both light and dark, especially in, his, in this film, technically, like, from what you guys told me. Like, it's really, it's really great to experiment, to try everything. Your yeah, and I feel like that type of story I think Fincher just wanted to do something different but I think he was able to add his own like dark sensibilities to it it's like a and it kind of reminds you of like fairy tales like old fairy tales like uh, that have like dark tones to them like serious tones it felt like that too it felt like one big fairy tale movie about a guy who lives not doesn't live forever but he can he gets younger and you know and like and Dane put it perfectly it's like we, we try to romanticize youth but we can't really do that you know I mean yeah. the movie shows you why you, you probably shouldn't do that yeah exactly very true, very true. <laughs> and um, I think another interesting thing just to talk about with that movie is the the CGI it's it's pretty impressive at the time or for yeah, the time yeah you mean the de-aging effects? Yeah, yeah. Brad Pitt, he, he really. I mean, his performance was great, but the makeup and the CGI was wow. As especially as the old man, it was very impressive. And then how um, the different stages of his life. Um, not not a lot of movies have been that good. I think kind of because sometimes you get kind of distracted by the CGI. If it's not either, if it's too perfect, it becomes uncanny. If it's not very good obviously it's distracting but it's it's kind of like that good level of it's not perfect but it's not it's not bad either it's just it's good 
the, the special effects. So. Kind of like the special effects you did for uh, old old Brendan, like old Leo. Like, <laughs> oh, I can't take credit for that. That was that was that uh, face app that automatically did it. But uh, yeah, I, I don't recommend using that app because I think it's kind of security <laughs> problems. But it was a fun fun app to use for a little bit. Oh, um, oh, for uh, for context, Emmanuel, um, the guy I was just talking about, Brendan, he's a uh, well, well, here's many things. He's like this, this other like Dane's other host from his this other podcast, uh, DMURBF. Like he's gonna be our guest in about two episodes. Like you will, I think you'll really, really like the guy. <laughs> he's. I hope I meet him. I hope I get to meet him. Yeah, that'll be interesting. <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be a great show. That'll be oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> That's for which 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 show is that? That's for. The meme, the best memes in movies, or something. Oh yeah, it can also be about much, much more too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Come on, Dean. this is this is Brendan we're talking about. There has to be a lot more. Oh hell yeah! Also, it should be fair to know that ne next next week, a week from today, is going to be Dane's birthday. That's what I'll Okay, I'll try to remember to, yeah, just to remember that. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Oh, yeah, Facebook will, okay, yeah, Facebook will remind me, but. <laughs> <laughs> that's true, that's true. Yeah. And I'll say happy birthday, Dane. Oh, thank you, Emmanuel. I appreciate it. It's going to be sweet celebrating with you guys, Sin City. It's a really unique birthday. I mean, like the circumstances, obviously. Have you have you guys both celebrated? Or Nick, you haven't celebrated a birthday yet, but have you celebrated your birthday this year, Emmanuel? Me, not not yet. My my birthday is Christmas. Oh wow! Uh, yep, I was born on Christmas. Wow. Uh, the 25th, 90, 92. Wow. That's interesting. Born, born on Christmas. Wow. I guess, yeah. I, I mean, people probably ask you this all the time. Like, do you get uh, double the gifts? <laughs> <laughs> You're right, Danny. They ask me that all the time. No, I, I used to, but not anymore. Yeah. That's, that's cool, though. That's a sweet birthday. Yeah. It's, it's Thank you. We all celebrate your birthday every year. Well, oh. most of the world does, right? <laughs> <laughs> so cool, yeah. That's <laughs> no one, since uh, we are over the one hour mark, the time has come to hear oh, our right. Oh, Let's man. start with our guest, Emmanuel. Your favorite, your top three favorite Fincher films, and um, if you like, favorite scene from each of them. All right. So, number one would have to be uh, the scene in Fight Club um, when, when spoiler alert, when uh, Tyler, the narrator, is trying to defuse the bomb, and Brad Pitt is there. But at this point, he knows he's he's a projection. He knows that's him. But then what's scary and what's almost kind of funny to me is they have this fight scene, but then, like, you look at the cameras and you realize he's fighting himself. <laughs> it's like yeah. his whole mind is just, he's just completely given into his mind. And I just thought that was amazing. Uh, 
storytelling wise and visually wise because it shows you the 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 the, the, the the fight between him and the shadow self, I guess, and how it's just, and how what he's doing is utterly ridiculous, right? It's, you see somebody beating themselves up, you're like, you, you have problems. <laughs> so I, I like that scene. And then the second one would be, um, let me see, oh, the, the chase scene in Seven, when they first encountered Jane Doe, John Doe. That scene was, it was so good because like, is a is um, it shows how the script is so, Andrew Kevin's Walker script is so good because it leads you along this journey and then, at a moment's notice something else could ha- unexpected happens and I like how they almost had him they almost got him but he got away, <laughs> and I like that scene it was so it was so suspenseful, it was well done well shot. <laughs> Uh, the mute, uh, Howard, Howard Shore's music was amazing on point. And then the third one would have to be Gone Girl, uh, the Cool Girl monologue from Gone Girl. <laughs> yeah, now like, I, I don't understand how, and Gillian Flynn, the writer, the author, she felt that she killed feminism because like people didn't like that. But I think it's a, that was a very feminist moment in a good way because it's showing how Amy, she, she hates how Nick has treated her. And so she hatched this. You could tell how she's explaining why she hatched this plan. Because she couldn't be the cool girl anymore. And now cool girls itself is a stupid idea. Like us guys, we have these idolized versions of girls we want to have, you know, be with. But Amy was like, I don't want to be that anymore. And like, so it was really well, it was a great monologue to kind of offer an insight into Amy's character. Yeah. Good choices, man. So that's my three. Alright. Your turn, Dane. Oh. This is hard coming up with favorite scenes, but I'll try my best here. Um so I'll go from number three. So number three I have social network, the social network. And favorite scene, I, I don't know, there's so many good scenes, but maybe the scene where I think it's when Eduardo kind of confronts Mark in the uh the Facebook headquarters. And I don't know, there's just such such good chemistry between all the actors there. Um, I think, yeah, Justin Timberlake's also in that scene. Yes. And uh, yeah, that's that's the one that sticks out to me when you just had like the, the, the tension was at the highest in the movie. It really felt like, okay, this movie's getting getting good. The drama's setting in. And you can kind of see like Mark Zuckerberg's ego really seems to be controlling him at this point. But uh, yeah. and then you don't really have like a fair character. You're kind of like, okay. We'll see what happens with the rest of this movie, but you, you kind of you. I think at the, up to this point, you really you like Mark Zuckerberg, and then obviously, I think you, you like it's a roller coaster ride the whole way through. But that's a great, I think, um, kind of the height of the tension and then the rest that follows it. Um, number two, I would probably say from Benjamin Button. It's another hard one because that movie is like three hours, so there's so many good scenes. Um, but I would say maybe like, I, I really like this kind of like the midway point of the movie when um, Brad Pitt's character, the main character, Benjamin Button, he um, he starts to kind of reach that same age where they, he physically looks like uh, his love interest, right? And it's really sweet kind, kind of seeing them like they reconnect again. And yeah, you just you just see like they have so much love for each other. And I, I can't remember exactly which scene, but that, that whole 
section of the movie, I think, is is one of the best parts. Of the yeah, I, I really like that. I, I like the scene when they were remember they they were, they looked at each other in the mirror. Yeah, and said, "Let's remember, let's remember this moment." Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's sweet. yeah. That was very touching. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to watch that movie again because yeah, it's it's a it's a beautiful movie and yeah, there's a lot of good scenes, but I would say. Like Emmanuel, like you said, th- those scenes around that time, I think, are my favorite. Um, Fight Club, number one, I would probably say, again, I have, like, multiple favorites, but maybe I, I like the oncoming traffic scene. Um, yeah, it's when it's when they're in the car and uh, they, they, I think it's Brad Pitt driving, right? He gets into the oncoming lane and it's just so, it's such a tense feeling. You don't know what's going to happen, seeing the headlights coming the other way. Um, I think that, that really just is an anxiety-inducing scene, and David Fincher does that um, exact thing so well. So I would say that scene, yeah. in or of course, like the famous ending scene of Fight Club with the, the buildings collapsing and um, the Pixie song, Whereas My Mind, kicks in, and it's just like, wow. Oh, man. <laughs> that, that song stayed with me as a kid, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know, right? It's so it's so iconic and it's haunting. It's it's kind of sad. It's kind of beautiful. It's just like whoa, this is this is pretty deep. <laughs> it fits it fits the movie perfect. Oh, yeah, it's definitely. It's chaotic yet beautiful at the same time. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Now Nick's turn. I'm excited to hear these. First of all, too. really really excellent choices, guys. Yeah. Thank you. I sh- can I share uh, one of one of these scenes, by the way, uh, with you, Emmanuel, for my list. But here it goes. My top three. Um, for me, my, my third favorite Fincher film and scene would have to go to seven. Like, mm-hmm. for me, the fav- my favorite scene would have to be the ending, like the what's in the box. Um, um, do you, oh, man. For spoilers, guys. Um, if two of those oh, don't, seen don't, it. don't worry about it. Go ahead. What? Spoilers. Like, so um, the two um, detective Mills, they and his partner, uh, what's his name? I'm Detective uh, Summers. Uh, Somerset. Somerset, right? Ooh, like Somerset Station. Wow. <laughs> so um, yeah, um, they capture John Doe and they bring him out into the open. And but John Doe has delivered a package, and in that package, inside that box, is the we the severed head of Detective Mills' wife. And he he killed he killed her to represent the because he was envious of Detective Mill who played by Brad Pitt's life, so he killed her to represent the seventh deadly sin of envy. And he then got Detective Mills was so ang- was so like of course enraged that he, in a rage he ended up killing John Doe. But this was exactly what John Doe wanted because by killing him, uh, he represented the se- the de- deadly sin of wrath. Like, and it was a very like just a very dark, very tragic way to end the story. Like. Like even though like the bad guy he he died but he's he still won in the end like he still like achieved his goal. This is to me I think the darkest ending to any of David Fincher's work. Like, wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. Really, really, <laughs> really sends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Like really sends the message that you know like that not all evil can be beaten. Like mm-hmm. not everyone has a happy ending. Mm-hmm. For 
my number two favorite Phil, David Pinter, Phil and Scene. So we both do the social network. And same as yours, Dane, where uh, Eduardo confronts Mark on Facebook. It's like up to this point like we've seen how mark and eduardo like are really have a very close bond together despite their differences and and this is like this is what the whole film to me has been building up towards like this is the death of their friendship basically yes and it was just it was both scary and heartbreaking at the same time like just watching it all unfold like yeah it's really sad too because in a in a film full of you know like very characters who are well jerks eduardo is probably the closest thing this film has to a hero i'd say so it's really really tragic Eduardo has had to put up with Mark the whole film. Just like the, what I call like the, what you call it, the stroke that broke the camel's back, like the last straw for him. I'd say the whole te- the intensity and the performance by Andrew Garfield just made this the number one scene in the film for me. Like, so well done. Yeah. Yeah. Great story. Nice. And for my number one, which is shared with you, Emmanuel, would have to be Gone Girl, the whole, the cool girl monologue. Yeah, it's really good, man. Oh yeah, like, like this. This is really like the twist. Every my favorite plot twist, I think, in any film that Amy is she's alive and she's been framing Nick for her murder. Yeah, like, and she and yeah, like you also bring up a really good point, Daniel. Like it really the monologue. It really shows just how how plastic men can really be. Like the women they try so hard to please their man like try to like be someone they're not and at the same time they still shut them down we shut them down because like we're not happy with the way they are it's like so put like they have to put on a mask to impress us it's just that's kind of harsh really yeah it's a very feminist movie i i know some people might disagree with that but i think it is because it gave amy a lot of agency because she was the one that was dictating her fate her destiny even though she's a bad guy but you know i mean it's it's it it comes from a place of it's understandable where that anger comes from i'll say that's right yeah and really like the real like amazing amy like the whole her character in the book amazing amy never disappeared like she never existed basically yeah a facade that, that's actually one of the and one of the, the main theme i think for me of gone girl is dishonesty like the characters lie deceive to one another and pretend to be people they're not just to please others that's really mm. yeah yes yeah yeah and, and this and also like the about the monologue like the, the soundtrack by trent razor and atticus ross plus rosamund pike's performance which i think is the best performance of her career really made made the scene like such so memorable for me yeah yeah like really looking oh, yeah. deep into her psyche yeah, I mean, she's 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 crazy. She's a psychopath, but hey, you can understand why she's upset, you know. 
it really also raises debate, like whether Amy, like were her actions against Nick really justified or were they more disproportionate? Like, you cheat on me, I cream you for murder. Like, wow. Yeah, it's it's kind of like it was the whole eye for an eye type thing. Like she saw she saw him cheating on her. So I was like, you know, screw this. I'm just going to, you know, F you up, basically. And, you know, and that, I think that's relatable to a lot of women, you know, like I'm not a woman myself, but I understand how they would be upset if they caught a guy they loved for years, cheat on them, especially for a younger woman. Oh, man, that's <laughs> I'm sure that'll make them very upset. Marriage, marriage goals, eh? right? <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, um, if if we ever uh, get if any of thing goes wrong, if we ever get married, who could be? I think we could call Brandon to be our marriage counsel. <laughs> God, yeah, like, oh, yeah. yeah, Gone Girl is really, it's really sees like the the dark side of a, mar a married life how married a marriage life isn't always how it turns out to be but goes even further much much further than that yeah god sure yeah so really great lift everyone yeah really good choices too it's been thank you and that's all the time we have left for today thank you for showing up today emmanuel yes sure and thank you too also for showing up in the next time Dane. you always do a good job as always you both did great today well done uh -huh. thank you thank guys you. for coming it was, it was fun talking with david fincher today really glad to watch all his movies now and you guys really made it, you really sold all of his films to me, so I'm going to be doing that very soon, definitely. And this has been Sin City with two-timer special guest, Emmanuel Aquinola. Um, is, that how, is that how you pronounce your name, by the way, your last name? Yeah, perfect. You got it. You got it. Nice. So it's been Sin City with Emmanuel Aquinola. I'm one of your hosts, Nick Manassas. This was Dave McLean. Thank you guys for coming today. We'll see you next week next week to hear an episode with the birthday boy <laughs> until then this has been sin city live from cmru.ca bye everyone bye guys